chance. Yenmark down the middle, scores! Matias Yenmark, short-handed goal. From the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios and live at lvsportsnetwork.com. Puck comes out high, Watt gets the puck, off to the races, into the zone, the righty, right circle, backhander, he scores! What a move! Nicholas Watt gets the Knights back in the lead! is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Your destination for inside access with the team, exclusive player interviews, and breaking news from around the National Hockey League. Here are your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Welcome in Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports Las Vegas. Wallace, Millard, Chapman, live inside the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas Studios. Finley Chevrolet on the 215. Home of the... And from all the artwork yesterday on uh, painting the ice, uh, coat the rink, coat the fortress, uh, when we were at T-Mobile Arena and the uh, opportunity for Vegas Golden Knight fans to go down there and write messages to the team or their favorite emoji or slogan uh, on the ice, uh, we get a rather, uh, I would call it a stick figure uh, production from the NHL Draft Lottery today. Darren Millard, Ryan Wallace, uh, having some fun with the uh, the Draft Lottery, which has just been completed and want to tell you that the Vegas Golden Knights were involved in it. They had half a chance, <laughs> half a percent uh, to, to move up. And if Vegas picked into the top 10, they would hold on to their selection. They could only move up 10 spots. Uh, if they did not pick in the top 10, then that pick uh, went to Buffalo in the Jack Eichel trade. And in the end, Vegas stays exactly where they went into it at number 16. So Buffalo uh, takes that first round selection from the Vegas Golden Knights, and they will draft a 16. Everything was status quo from 16 right on down to number 5. And that's when things started to change a little bit. Philadelphia and Seattle both dropped a spot. So they didn't have an opportunity to draft uh, first overall. Your top three ended up being Arizona, who had the second-best odds. Mm -hmm. They fall one spot. New Jersey had the biggest opportunity. They jumped up three spots Mm -hmm. to number two, and that means Montreal wins the NHL draft lottery for 2022 and hold on to the first overall selection and uh, it's the fifth time that Montreal will select first overall if they use the selection. So your top five are Montreal at one, New Jersey two, Arizona three, Seattle four, and Philadelphia at five for the 2022 NHL entry draft. Yeah, I wanted chaos. I, I, yeah, I didn't get it I, either. I, I wanted chaos. There was no chaos whatsoever. The Montreal Canadiens get to pick first overall in a draft that will be hosted in Montreal blah that that will be awesome let me just say for for, for somebody that's been to drafts before Uh and and love it uh uh, and the environment and especially you add in to to the city of montreal it will be spectacular here's the the disappointing part is montreal only has uh that one first round selection Mm -hmm. so what usually happens is the team like in this case Montreal is very excited about the first overall selection. We will know, Shane Wright probably, Mm -hmm. uh, who they will take with that first overall selection. And then the building will empty out to a certain extent uh, after the first 
five or six selections, and the buzz inside the rink uh, will will dissipate uh, a touch. I would love it if Montreal had two first-round selections just to keep the crowd uh, in attendance. There are a couple of teams that will have two first-round selections. Buffalo has the Vegas Golden Knights uh, first-round pick mm-hmm. at 16. We'll also... Uh, draft uh, another pick in the in the first round, and that will be at number nine. So it's the third time in four years that Buffalo will have multiple first round picks. And uh, by the way, Columbus uh, picks up uh, Chicago's first round pick at number sixth overall. Uh, uh, Chicago and Columbus uh, hooking up on the Seth Jones trade. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a big kick in the pants uh, for the Chicago Blackhawks uh, who lose out on the sixth round pick. Uh, So Columbus will have the sixth and the twelfth first round selections. And then you've got uh, somebody like New Jersey who jumps up three spots. Mm -hmm. They went into it with the fifth odds to win the draft lottery. They win to a certain extent, a large extent. So how about this? It's the third time in the last six years that New Jersey will pick first or second overall. Yeah, it's wild. Um, Good for them. Uh, And, like, I think the New Jersey Devils are are kind of rounding into a a team that I think should be able to take another step. Jack Hughes, if he can stay healthy, uh, to me is is one of those game-breaking type of players. You've got more in the pipeline behind um, Jack Hughes and – you know, you get if you hit on this next pick, then all of a sudden, I think the New Jersey Devils can do something a little bit special. So, um, you know, they'll probably arrive sooner than most people think, and that's that's my pie in the sky look at the New Jersey Devils. I'm sure Chris Chapman is is looking staring daggers at me as he is right now because he uh, he's not as high on the Devils as I am. It, with all the rules that have been changed mm-hmm. to prevent teams from jumping way, way back to the first overall uh, selection, mm-hmm. New Jersey jumping those three spots and getting inside uh, the top three, picking at number two, uh, is is fascinating. But it's also uh, it had me worried uh, because if New Jersey would have got the first overall pick again, I'd be like, oh, what did we make all these changes for? Well, I... I mean, I'm, I'm going to make the argument. Like, what's the point of a lottery if you if you can't win at all? Like, mm-hmm. that to me doesn't make any sense. And like, I get that there are some teams that are a little bit irked by, yeah, no, say the Edmonton Oilers picking first overall, first overall, first overall, and it's the Taylor Hall thing. I get it, but like, the fact of the matter is, if you're going to have a lottery system in place anyway, but you can't, but and, and then you win the lottery, and the best you can do is sixth instead of first. That that doesn't make any sense to me. It's it's not a lottery. It's it's like you win the lottery, but you're only you're only allowed to have thirty five to forty percent of what your actual winnings are. Now I get it, taxes like that's a thing that exists in the real world, but to me, it's not it's not a lottery. If if you put a cap on where teams can move up, I, I think that's a little ridiculous. Yeah, uh, Montreal will draft a number one overall. For the first time since 1980, when they selected Doug Wickenheiser, uh, the late Doug Wickenheiser, that was a, a very uh, polarizing pick hmm. uh, as Doug's career evolved. Uh, the time before that was 1971 with uh, Guy Lafleur, uh, who we just celebrated in the last week. Uh, so here's a couple of teams which I think with the draft lottery, I would have expected to pick higher. Okay, One of those the New York Islanders will pick 
thirteenth if mm-hmm. they hold on to their selection. Mm-hmm. Based on everything that happened to the New York Islanders and how they were so far out of the postseason, eliminated basically at Christmas, and have just parted ways with their coach, I would have thought there's no way they're picking as as low as thirteenth. Well, I mean, they they weren't as bad as a lot of people think that right. they were. Right. It's, it's it's really amazing to me that the the New York Islanders are kind of the team that has taken the early headline so far in the offseason of most upheaval because it doesn't really compute for me. It doesn't make much sense. Like this is a team that was very much a victim of circumstance this year beyond their control. Um but yeah, you like you're right. I, I would imagine that there's a lot of people that sit there and say, "Wait, wait, wait hold on, hold on." The Islanders aren't in the top 10. Yeah. I thought that they were terrible. So another team that wasn't as bad as what I thought, San Jose, will mm-hmm. select 11th. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because, like, I, I, like I'm, I'm kind of right there with you with, with San Jose in that I would have imagined they were a top 10 team uh, in, the, in the lottery, in, in, the, in the draft, just simply because they could never beat Vegas until they did. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that there's something to be said about the San Jose Sharks as just kind of slightly above mediocre. And, and I think there are there are moments within the season where you look at them and you say, oh, man, they are a bad hockey team, and those contracts are going to age incredibly badly, and they're already there. Uh, but, you know, I, I think San Jose, the reality is more so that they're just uh, just slightly above mediocre. So Buffalo gets the Vegas pick at 16 in yeah. the Jack Eichel transaction. Mm-hmm. Their own selection is scheduled to be at number nine. Mm-hmm. I thought they were worse than picking nine. Well, I mean, the Buffalo Sabres were were one of those teams, I think, down the stretch that that really since the Jack Eichel return game, right? Like that was kind of the the yeah, I would say turning point of their season. And but maybe... it wasn't just Vegas. Anytime anybody lost to Buffalo, <laughs> yeah, you went, how did we lose to those guys? Well, but and, because of uh, their record and yeah. what was expected uh, of yeah. them, uh, they, the players that, uh, that tried really hard and produced and uh, that they get some good performances out of uh, certain individuals. But but that you didn't leave Buffalo going, we we knew that that was going to be a tough game, and it was. Yeah, and, and you know I think that you can start to, to maybe see the building blocks a little bit with the Buffalo Sabres, but I'm going to pump the brakes on that because, one, it's the Buffalo Sabres, and two, anytime this organization feels like it's moving in a direction that that gives them some positive momentum, it it messes up. So, like, I, I think y- you you did well in the Jack Eichel trade. If you're looking at this objectively as a as a Sabres fan, you did well in the Jack Eichel trade. I think that you need roster players more than anything right now. Um, but you know, the fact of the matter is, this is a team that's going to continue to bring in pieces. Uh, they're going to get better over time. And I think that they've got some building blocks. Now, the onus is on Kevin Adams to just not mess it up. Are you okay now that you see that uh, the Vegas Golden Knights stayed at 16 and that pick transfers, uh, does that uh, really justify it? Rooted home, uh, the Jack Eichel, because trading a 16th overall pick mm-hmm. for Jack Eichel at Jack's age, I think, is a no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, you have to take it in the totality, right? So it's it's a, a mid-first-round pick, and then it's Peyton Krebs and it's Alex Tuck. So, yeah. like you know, you take that trade in its totality. There's no real 
understanding of what that number 16 pick's going to be. The the track record as far as development within the Sabres organization is not as stellar as you would expect it to be. So, you know, the fact of the matter is you have no idea what that pick's going to turn out to be. And you don't know how good Jack Eichel can be yet with the Vegas Golden Knights. I think it's still kind of too early to tell. But the fact of the matter is you've got a player in Jack Eichel that is something special. And I think next year we're going to really see that on full display. So I didn't have any issue with the trade when it happened. I don't have any issue with it today. In fact, I, I think I lean more toward where you're going with it, Darren, in that I, I feel pretty much as, as, as good as I'm going to feel about it. Buffalo, Vancouver, Winnipeg, the Islanders, and Columbus uh, all stayed the same in the uh, from 16 uh, to 15, 14, 13, and 12. Uh, it, things didn't really start to get interesting until number five, when Philadelphia drops one spot and Seattle and Arizona all uh, fell a spot thanks to the New Jersey Devils. Who is the big winner today in the draft lottery? Or was there a big, big winner today. Um, New Jersey I, dropped, jumped the most spots up. Montreal stays at number one and gets the first overall selection. And Arizona at least stayed inside the top three. I think that, you know, the Montreal Canadiens, the, the ability to draft first overall after an abysmal season is probably going to take all the headlines. And you know what? When you when you see how bad it was this year for the Canadians and everything that they've dealt with, uh, from going to the Stanley Cup final to being the worst team in the league, uh, I, like, I think you, you can kind of talk yourself into feeling good about the fact that they get the number one overall pick. Um, I, I feel like Philadelphia needed something, right? Like, if there was a team that, that really needed a win here, that really needed to get that first overall pick. I feel like it's the Philadelphia Flyers. Like nothing has gone right for this organization over two years. You you trade away your captain and Claude Giroux. Like you just want to feel good about something. And to me, the the loser in all this is probably Philadelphia because I think that they could have benefited the most from getting that number one overall pick. Who do you think feels the worst today? Like I'm going Chicago <laughs> because even though even though they stay at six, yeah. that pick transfers over to the Columbus Blue Jackets in the Seth Jones deal. Yeah, and you know if there's one thing that you know, a rebuilding team can stand to lose, it's it's draft picks, right? Like it's just kind yeah. of worst case scenario for the Chicago Blackhawks. But the fact of the matter is, they wanted a player in Seth Jones. They got him. It cost a lot, and it's going to continue to cost a lot. And that contract's going to age in a way that. I don't think is going to be very graceful. But that all being said, the Chicago Blackhawks have a couple of players that can probably fetch you some first-round picks. I think they'll be fine. What about Detroit, who check in and stay at eight? Win, <laughs> loss, or are you okay with that? Because part of me thinks Detroit had a decent first half, mm -hmm. but fell off so bad that I expected them to either pick higher than eight mm -hmm. or get some love from the hockey gods today in the bingo balls. Yeah, I think that it doesn't matter because Steve Eiserman is going to find a gem, right? Like, I think that there's one thing that we've learned about Steve Eiserman as a general manager. Um, when it comes to draft selections, he's not afraid to go off the board. He's not afraid to do something a little bit different when there's a player that he really, really likes. And I wouldn't be shocked or surprised if Steve Eiserman's able to find a diamond in the rough at eight that 
will likely find his way into the lineup and, and do so in a meaningful way for the Detroit Red Wings. So I, whether they pick in the top three, whether they pick outside of the top three, uh, the track record right now for Steve Eiserman has been really good for Detroit, and I don't think that this is really going to be something that bothers them too much. Uh, Brian McCormick's coming up from the Henderson Silver Knights. Uh, they had their year-end media availability yesterday. Darren Millard, Ryan Wallace, and Chris Chapman with you. A couple of observations for you. Uh, of the 16 teams that were involved in the draft lottery today, mm-hmm. uh, we have six that are looking for head coaches and three in from 16 to 9, and then three from 8 to number 1. Uh, this is a, a unique time of the year, but 6 out of 16 is quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a lot. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think it's interesting in that there's a reason why teams fail to make the playoffs, and when you talk about 6 out of 16 – teams right now looking for head coaches. I think that gives you a real good indication of kind of what went wrong last year for some teams or, or, you know, different difference in opinion or direction or whatever the case may be. Um, There's one that's the most shocking to me, and that's obviously the New York Islanders. But beyond that, like, I I think that you look at the other teams that are right now searching for coaches and it, it makes sense. Like there were teams that weren't very good and there were teams that weren't well coached. And now it's about trying to find the right pieces to get these teams back into a playoff spot. Who do you think has the most pressure now that we know the order in the national hockey league draft to nail it? Like Mm. Montreal at number one, they're going to get a really good player and that's going to help them out. I think that they're a couple of years away. But New Jersey mm-hmm. uh, drafting in the top two for the third time in six years, I think it's really uh, imperative for them. Seattle trying to answer back from a disappointing season. Philadelphia, you mentioned uh, where where they are right now. Columbus, I think, is always fascinating in the draft. And Ottawa and Detroit are, are right in there. Buffalo with a couple of picks. So who do you think has the most pressure? I think it's the New Jersey Devils, right? Like this is a team that – felt like this year they were supposed to take a step and they didn't. And, you know, you can look at some of the some of the high draft picks outside of Jack Hughes and, and kind of make an argument, well, maybe they missed the boat on a couple of players. So to me, the New Jersey Devils have to get it right at number two. They have to. There's no doubt in my mind they have to find a player that's going to come in and, and contribute the way that a number two overall pick has to. Which team... In this 16, this group of uh, 16 picks, but there's really only 14 teams because uh, a couple are have multiple selections, is the outlier in the sense of they're in like Vegas would be that mm-hmm. if they had the selection mm-hmm. where you expect something totally different next year. Like you don't expect them to be in the draft lottery next year. Uh, we've got uh, Vancouver and Winnipeg. Uh, the Islanders uh, certainly would fall uh, under that umbrella. Columbus was a playoff team uh, before, uh, are not uh, right now. Uh, which which team do you think uh, we're not going to see them in the draft lottery again for a while? So, like, I, I really, really, really want to say New Jersey, but I, I'm not I'm – not... <laughs> I'm yeah. not strong enough to do it yet. Like, I to me, like New Jersey, the question's not so much what they do at the draft this year; it's what they do with Mackenzie Blackwood and what their goaltending looks like next year, because I think that's the limiting factor for this hockey club. Like, you you get your goaltending sorted and figured out. I think that the New Jersey Devils have enough pieces to to start to make uh, a bit of a run. But you know, I I I think that you know I. 
Bruce Boudreaux with the Vancouver Canucks is an, an intriguing one. Like the way that they played since Boudreaux became the coach, I, I, I have a tendency to feel like he will opt into that next year of the contract. And you do, eh? I, I mean, it, it kind of depends on what I think happens in the next, you know, week for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But I, Bruce is a Toronto guy, yeah. and I am told that he is watching what <laughs> happens when that Toronto Tampa series, and if Toronto loses, and there's a cleaning sure. of the house there, yeah. that uh, that the chance of him opting in to, and taking up the second year uh, of his contract with the Vancouver Canucks becomes limited. So here's the thing. I firmly believe that the Maple Leafs are going to win that series. So that's the uh, that's the premise I'm operating under. Okay, yeah. So to me, like if here's here's the easiest way I can put it. If Bruce Boudreau is back with the Vancouver Canucks, they're not going to be in the draft lottery next year. I just don't think he's too good of a coach. He makes the playoffs. That's what Bruce Boudreau does. He gets the most out of his team. I don't think Vancouver's back if Bru- if Boudreau is behind the bench. Islanders I think are a better team than than a draft lottery team. I agree. I don't think we'll see them for a while. Uh, Who's coaching I'm, them? I have no clue. Yeah. I literally have no clue. Although, I wouldn't be surprised if they went the, the Tortorella route. I know that he's been mentioned a couple of times for different jobs, and I've, <laughs> I've disputed those. Asking, I've disputed those. But... Given where they, uh, some of the messaging coming out from yeah. Lou Lamorello, which was cryptic at best, uh-huh. uh, explaining that decision, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they went the uh, John Tortorella route. Uh, I, I don't think San Jose is ready to make a big leap. I don't think uh, Anaheim is ready to escape the draft lottery mm-hmm. just yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buffalo, I think, stays put. Detroit, uh, same thing. I, a lot of these teams, uh, like Philadelphia, would be a club where. They can make the playoffs, but they're they're sort of in, they're out of the draft lottery, back and forth. I think there's a lot of pressure on Seattle in this draft lottery in really? this uh, next draft. Yeah, why is that? Because they I mean, were. I know they were bad this year, but like there was expectations <laughs> above where they finished, uh, and and they had the the third best odds this year to win the draft lottery. They didn't expect to be anywhere near that. Uh, I think that uh, you hit on that and you get better goaltending. Uh, you can be much more competitive in, in the Pacific Division this year. Now, the the draft lottery is interesting. So you've got Montreal at one, Jersey at two, Arizona three, mm-hmm. Seattle four, and Philadelphia five. Yeah. What can you get in and around there? I, I looked at, the, at Vegas the last time that they were in the draft lottery. And that was the expansion draft, and Vegas took Cody Glass at six. Yeah, but at five was Lars Patterson, mm-hmm. Vancouver, pretty good, really good. Colorado at four, which is where Seattle is set to pick. Kale mm-hmm. McCarr. So yeah. look what look what Colorado is now, mm-hmm. and has been for the last couple of years, juggernaut. But they they had that pick at four. And took Kale McCarr. Miral Heiskanen went three that year. That's where Arizona's picking. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went to Dallas, who jumped up big time in that uh, pick. At two, where New Jersey is, Philadelphia took Nolan Patrick. Yep. And the Devils took Nico Heischer. That was one of the the picks where three in the last six, where they've had multiple uh, yep. like top two picks. Uh, I, I don't think Jersey has hit a grand slam yet. 
Can they do it at number two? Um, I, I think Jack Hughes is their grand slam. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, I think you know where I fall on Jack Hughes. Oh, I, I, I love Jack Hughes. I, I do. Good. I, I just the question he hasn't been be able healthy. to say healthy. Yeah. yeah. That's the question, right? If you have 82 games of Jack Hughes, then he's your he's your grand slam if you're the New Jersey Devils. The problem is it hasn't happened yet. And I think that that draft you're alluding to is the main reason why I think all the pressure is on the New Jersey Devils, right? Yeah. Like when you when you list off Nico Heischer, perfectly good player, perfectly fine player. But if you look at the New Jersey Devils and you say, wouldn't you rather have Miro Haskinen or wouldn't you rather have Kale McCarr? or Elias Pettersson, it's a no-brainer. So, like, the the New Jersey Devils have to get themselves to a point in this draft where three, four years down the road, we're not looking at it and saying, look at who went third, fourth, fifth, and wouldn't the New Jersey Devils look different if they had that player instead of who they'd selected? So Vegas had the 16th best odds uh, to, uh, or worst odds, uh, I guess you could put it in that connection, uh, half a percent uh, to win the draft lottery, move up to, 10 spots from 16 to 6. That didn't happen. They will stay at number 16. So that pick uh, goes over to Buffalo in the Jack Eichel trade. Uh, When we come back, we will chat with Brian McCormick, who loves the NHL draft uh, himself, but we'll chat a little bit about the Henderson Silver Knights and uh, their campaign, which came to an end over the course of the weekend. And Sam and Ash are going to stop by with the Legal Minute as we continue on the VGK Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas. We're back to the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. One-timers in hour number two of the VGK Insider Show. Big retirement to talk about in the National Hockey League, although... To be honest, it's one of those ones where he already knew he was done. Just it wasn't official. And I'm not even sure anybody files a retirement uh, paper uh, anymore or signs that sheet. Uh, but right now we're going to go down the path of the Henderson Silver Knights with the voice of the Silver Knights, Brian McCormick, joining Darren Millard along with uh, Ryan Wallace. And I'm, I'm, I'm over to you guys. So what you guys uh, said the other day, I hate the best of three. I don't like it because the Henderson <laughs> Silver Knights uh, lost uh, in, in two straights. Uh, what was the mood, the environment uh, around locker room cleanout day, media availability day, uh, the conclusion of the Henderson Silver Knights season, Brian? Yeah, you know, guys, it was, it was generally positive. You know, everyone had a couple of days or a day and a half to, to digest it. Uh, and, you know, when you talk to some players, you know, a lot of it was just about the, the good experience, the leap forward, you reflect on the season as a whole. And, and I mean, really, if you look at Jake LeCision, Jonas Rombier, Paul Cotter, Ben Jones, whether it be, you know, the NHL uh, service time that they had or, or just overall the year that they had both, in Henderson and in Vegas, I mean, just really, really tremendous leaps forward for guys like that. So, you know, overall, it's it's a positive year. Uh, they look forward to a summer to get better. It's going to be a longer summer than some of them have had in quite some time, either because they're used to playing longer themselves or, uh, you know, black acing for, for a an NHL Stanley Cup playoff run. Uh, so, you know, I think for a lot of players, too, the, the realization of, you know, last year was, a uh, shortened COVID year. The year before was a COVID uh, abrupt end of the year. So this is the first full season a lot of guys have played in a long time. So, uh, you know, generally happy with what the team did. It was a bit of an up-and-down roller coaster year, both uh, in the Vegas level and the Henderson level, but mostly positive. And I think for some of them, too, just a realization of, you know, the three-game series that came and went quickly, that, that probably helps in some ways get over it quicker. Uh, when you when you spend three rounds, four rounds chasing after something and you don't get it, it, it hits you hard. When you've 
only had two playoff games to, to deal with. It's disappointing, of course, but you know it, it's probably a little bit easier to to say, okay, well, you know, let's let's start looking towards next year and getting better. Um, but I think also the realization they ran into a really good Colorado team, and whoever they got in the first round, whether it was Colorado, Bakersfield, Abbotsford, there were a couple in the last week of the season it could have been. They knew they were going to get a really good team with some really good veteran AHL pieces. That's what they ran into, and, and they hung in in game one. They hung in in game two, but it didn't have the firepower. So uh, they re- realized that, they recognized that, and they get the uh, the pointers that they need from the staff to, to work on for the next few months before uh, September, October comes quicker than we realize. Brian McCormick is with us, the voice of the Henderson Silver Knights. Uh, what a great uh, time to have the Henderson Silver Knights uh, down the road with all the players going back and forth. I'm going to uh, exclude Ron Bjerg and from this uh, question because they spent so much time up top uh, with the big club, the, the Golden Knights. Uh, who is the diamond in the rough that uh, it was exposed this year in a really positive light for Henderson? Yeah, I'd say, I'm sure if you ask the coaching staff, management, you know, people who can analyze the game a little bit, uh, more completely, you might get a different answer. But for me, Ben Jones and Paul Cotter were, were massive leaps forward, uh, both in terms of, again, they both got NHL time, and, and Cotter's NHL time was probably a little more highlight-driven, flashier than, than Ben Jones. Uh, but Paul Cotter scored 19 goals. Ben Jones scored uh, over 20. I, I think it was 23 he finished with. It, you know, guys who had you know a third of that production in their careers combined leading into the season wow. uh, came in this year and, and put up great numbers. So, you know, not only was it great to see them have success, and for Paul Cotter, he said yesterday in his uh, exit interview, he said, you know, for me, it's consistency. I, you know, coaches tell me I can, I can take over a game. And then the next game, I, you know, I'm, I'm missing for a few shifts. It's about consistency, and he thought that got a lot better for him this year. I would agree with that. Uh, for Ben Jones, who didn't really factor in offensively the first two pro seasons he played, uh, this year was it was a net front presence was a, a weapon shorthanded, and talking to Tim Speltz, he says you know a, a guy who scores twenty five thirty goals whatever you have at the AHL it doesn't mean that translates to the NHL level, but now maybe we know that using those exact same tools where he's finishing at the NHL at the AHL level now he's a bottom six energy guy uh, four check presence you know it, it translates differently to the NHL if not precisely. So I think those are two guys who played really, really well, became go-to top six types uh, for Manny Viveros this year, whether or not they expected them to. I, I, I wasn't expecting them to have that kind of an impact. Uh, so it was a tremendous leap forward in role and in production. Uh, and on top of that, when you look at, in, you know, bring back in LeCision, Ron Beer, who lost one year due to injury, but nonetheless, uh, Cotter, Jones, Jermaine Lowen, guys who started the run that last year in Chicago before the team moved to Henderson, they're all kind of on the same timeline. You can say there's a lot of guys who have been in this organization now for three years who in that third year really made dramatic, noticeable improvements that changed the way they were utilized. So, you know, I think that's a good sign when you can see that same common thread through multiple players uh, that, that the timeline is on track. It's the VGK Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Darren Millard along with Ryan Wallace chatting with Brian McCormick. You know, Brian, you brought something up that I think is pretty interesting in that you're seeing some some leaps and bounds uh, production and, and, and development-wise from some players within the organization. But you also mentioned that this is maybe the first time in a, in a long time that there's going to be an extended offseason for some of these players. How much do you think kind of rest recovery and then getting back into the gym individually as as players can help Improve that 
that development that you're seeing out of, say, the Ben Joneses and the Paul Cotters? Uh, you know, it's massively important. And, and you hear different things from different players. From Daniil Miramanov, he, he said, you know, in the, the offseason, and, you know, whether it's looking at some film or just, you know, playing, playing small ice games with some of the guys that uh, are on the ice, wherever it is he'll be training, whether, you know, he, he says he's staying in the States and maybe travel the U.S. a little bit, but he said he wants to work on the cerebral part. And he says, you know, playing those small three-on-three games helps you see the ice differently, see it better, make different decisions. But, you know, for some players, it's focusing on the cerebral stuff. For some of it, it's getting in the weight room. And, you know, Brendan Brisson said in his exit interviews with the coaching staff, apparently, that, you know, the thing he knows coming from college, he came from one of the best college programs in the country, and he's a first-round pick. And he says, okay, and he had also had great numbers in his uh, brief stint with the Silver Knights. He said, everyone's bigger, everyone's faster. So if everyone's bigger and everyone's faster, you better get bigger and you better get faster. And it doesn't matter what, how long you've been in the league, you know, everyone's going to, to some extent, you know, make that their responsibility to come back a, a physical specimen. Uh, even if they did so the year before, you want to come in the best shape of your life every fall. Uh, and, you know, in addition to that, too, this was a long season for everyone in a good way and also with the challenges that come with it. Think back to last summer. Uh, was even though we were a little less COVID restricted, it didn't last very long before in many places the COVID restrictions set back in. Of course, the summer before that was uh, scary for everyone. You know, a lot of these guys haven't had a regular off season in a while too, either for training or for hunting, fishing, or whatever the heck else they like to do. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be a really useful season, uh, off season rather, to come in, uh, get the work done you need to get done, but also take a break, take a, a step back, see some family you haven't seen in a long time. You know, this is going to be a useful few months, uh, and we won't know in all aspects what how well that time was put to use until September, October. Um, but, you know, as disappointing as it is that the team isn't playing into June, it's time that will be put to good use without question. Ryan, uh, I just want to say uh, I'd rather have one day between seasons <laughs> than, than have to go fish. <laughs> really? Yeah. I think it's, I think it's the goofiest how, how, activity how ever. Time, how, how many great ideas can you come? Bits for the show, new mm. segments, things for tapping. If you sat on a boat for a few hours talking to yourself mm. or the fish. Exactly. That'd be good, good meditation, I think. Like this is this is coming from the guy, the only guy on the show that has a cottage. So like let's let's take it at face value, kid. Come on. <laughs> good flight. Up in PA. Can't wait to get up there. <laughs> but I don't and I don't fish. I live in I live in the island in the summer and I don't even fish. So that gives you where my, my opinion many, of fishing how many is. How channels do you get on the team at that cottage? <laughs> Enough that I don't have to go fishing. <laughs> Ryan. So Brian, like when you when you kind of forecast out what maybe your expectations are, or early expectations for next season, as you know, Darren asked you the question about this year's diamond in the rough. Like, who do you kind of look at as as maybe predicted next season to to be that guy for the Henderson Silver Knights? Yeah, you know, that that is tough. I, I think a couple of other guys that we that took good steps forward this year in more well rounded games uh, that we didn't mention yet. Uh, the defense. Defense pairing at that at times, uh, but sometimes they split them up for the sake of strength. But Zach Hayes and, and Braden Pahal also saw NHL time this year. Braden Pahal and then captain, and I, he was I thought really really noticeable during the playoff series against Colorado. Again for the Silver Knights, they never led in that series those, those two games. But Braden Pahal was a wrecking ball. He was mean. He was nasty. Abrasive is the word that Manny Viveros used today. Uh, and, you know, he's he's going to grow still as a leader because he's 
to be a captain in this league, but he was one of the players who I thought showed real volatile pushback in that series, even as you could see just the time on the clock that it was slipping away for Henderson. So, you know, if, if he's back on uh, the AHL roster next year, uh, that's, I, I think, going to be someone that's really going to drive the back end because uh, the back end is it was young this year and it's going to get more and more experienced. Again, not knowing what the NHL decisions will be, not to speak for the sake of what prospects are going to be, but if you have faces like uh, Zach Hayes in his third year, Brayton Pahal back again, Caden Korzak in his second full pro season, uh, that's going to be significant. And you might see, you know, Daniel Chaka join the team at the end of the playoff run. Maybe he's in the mix. You know, this, there's a lot of prospects that are going to be coming along. When you look at Chaka, Brisson, Morozov, all finishing the year in Henderson, again, who knows what they're ticketed for next year, but they got their first taste. I think it kind of makes you realize that there is still a a youth movement to come that might be more immediately felt at the AHL level if that's how prospects are uh, – are disseminated amongst the organization. But it just made you realize, when you look at uh, this year's HSK roster and how towards the end of the year it was starting to look more and more like last year's rookie camp roster, mm, yeah. it makes you realize there's, there's a lot of players on the way who, who may not be too far off. Uh, BMAC, we are going to be leaning on you for a while, not just today. Uh, we have to take a break, but uh, uh, thanks for doing this today, bringing us up to date on Media Day yesterday. I, I would go fishing with you because I like hanging out with you. But that's about it. All right. Well, I have a team-signed HSK hat that you can uh, wear on the boat if that's your nice. fancy. I'd rather you bring a cooler. I've got that, too. Good. They left a whole, they left a whole bunch of waters in the, in the fridge in the, uh, the team kitchen. So I wasn't I thinking waters. Never satisfied. I wasn't thinking <laughs> waters, either. <laughs> if I'm going up there. Uh, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Guys, thanks for having me on. Talk to you soon. Uh, Brian McCormick, voice of the Henderson Silver Knights. Uh, coming up. Still on the VGK Insider Show, one-timers, news and notes from around the National Hockey League, catching up with Chapman. But up next, it's the Legal Minute with Sam and Ash. It's time for the Legal Minute with Sam and Ash on the VGK Insider Show. Nobody gets more pumped up uh, for the Legal Minute than I do when I get to chat with my friends uh, Sam and Ash. Uh, Ashley Watkins is with us today. 702-820-1234. Put it in your phone when you have an accident. It's right there, and you can dial them up and make sure that you're connected with the best in the business, uh, SamandAshLaw.com. Uh, welcome, Ashley. Hey, guys. How are you? We are doing great. Uh, Ryan is all over this Astral World conversation. Yeah, so we're you know about a year out from from the Astro World tragedy uh, last year, and and the the, the what we're going to touch on today is kind of a new um, document on on estimated or updated estimated uh, injuries from that incident, and so a trio of attorneys, Sean Roberts, Jason Atkin, and Richard Mithoff, filed a new document that lays out the number of death and injury claims according to the paperwork. The attorneys say their findings show that in addition to the 10 deaths, they discovered an additional 732 cases of people claiming they were seriously injured, injured, requiring, quote, extensive medical treatment. Another 1,649 claim they suffered injuries requiring less extensive medical treatment and another 2,500 or so people that said they sustained injuries and are still being that are still being reviewed. So all in all. About 4,900 people were either injured or died during the stampede. So the question becomes, like, what do these new figures do for these cases moving forward? Oh, this is interesting. So I'm not sure what the context of this filing was exactly, but 
it's likely there to explain to the judge that the extent of the research and discovery that they're going to have to do. Mm -hmm. And what, what I'm seeing here is, look, these lawyers are basically categorizing extensive medical treatment, probably broken bones, surgeries, stitches, anything like that. And then less extensive medical treatment, probably getting a, an x-ray to confirm no broken bones or something like that, or just a Band-Aid. Um, but really, the, the fascinating thing is how many people were actually determined so far to be injured. I mean, the other side's going to push back and say they weren't or they weren't even there. You know, a lot of that stuff's going to have to be proven. Uh, but it's, it's crazy to see how many people are being claimed to have injured. Is this somewhat normal? That, uh, that there would be an inflated number, or have you seen anything like this? Well, an attorney can't make a representation to a court that's not accurate or not uh, factual, uh, so it would be very hard for them to say that 4,900 people were injured or died, and then that actually be totally inflated or made up. So that's a problem for the attorney. You know, you have ethics when you make representations to the court. But again, what's extensive medical treatment, what's less extensive medical treatment, that's somewhat subjective. And so, but that's not going to put an attorney in hot water. So like in in terms of of kind of those classifications, how how do you get kind of like a hard and fast rule to, to, to implement in these types of situations where you're determining what is extensive or less extensive or uh, is, is there a way to do that? Guys, I mean, I don't think that's it really actually even matters. What the relevant thing here is you've got 4,900 people that were hurt. How many of them are actually part of these lawsuits? I don't know. I'm not aware of right now, but there's a lot of claimants. And so and every person's claim is different. You know, every injury is different. Everyone's uh, damages are higher or lower than the person next to them. You know, the lost lives, those are going to be significantly higher value claims versus the person that needed a Band-Aid or that broke their arm. And mm-hmm. so that's really the nature of all of these claims is first they got to figure out who's responsible and how much money is involved and able to go around. And then you divide it up like a giant pie to each one of these claimants. On the idea or the thought of responsibility, like where where does that fall? Because like obviously Travis Scott has taken a lot of the backlash of this, but uh, when you when you look at just the sheer number, do you not look at you know the concert operators or security contractors as as being maybe more at fault, or or how do you kind of determine that? Yeah, great question. So look, this isn't the first time people have died in a concert. I mean Pearl Jam. Uh, in 2000, in the year 2000, nine people were trampled to death at a concert festival in Denmark. And then the WHO had 11 people die in Cincinnati's Riverfront Coliseum way back in like 1979. Neither of those were sued. Neither of those bands were sued. The difference here is Travis Scott wasn't just a performer, but he was also an organizer and supervisor of the event. Uh. So it puts him in a little bit different pers- uh, situation than other bands. How do you think this ends up? Any, uh... I think there's going to be a. I think there's a lot of insurance. So Travis Scott will have insurance. The venue will have insurance. The, all the promoters and other entities that were involved in making money off ticket sales, merchandise, all of those insurance policies are going to be thrown into a pot. They're going to just pay it and divide it out. I don't see this going to trial. 
Wow. Yeah. Uh, Because the evidence just seems to be so overwhelming and and obvious uh, about it. Uh, Ashley Watkins from SalmonAshLaw.com, 702-801-234. Thanks for uh, joining us. Uh, What do you think of the Miami Grand Prix, the Formula One race, before we let you go? Oh, I loved it. I liked, I love Formula One. I love the race. I love seeing uh, us getting more Grand Prix on, in the States, but hey, Vegas is going to do it better. We're much more visually interesting going down the strip at those high speeds. That's going to be fun. So hang tight till 2023 and we'll show everyone how Formula One races in America. Where's the best place to sit if you're looking at tickets for a Formula One race? Oh, that's a good one. I don't know. Actually, it depends. Each track has a different nuanced corner where they think a lot of action will happen. Yeah. So I don't know what – I haven't really evaluated the track here in Vegas yet, so I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll sit down. We'll do it together. Uh, Ashley, thanks for doing this. Uh, have a great week, <laughs> I love okay? It. Okay. Thanks, uh, pal. Appreciate it. Uh, Ashley Watkins from SalmonAshLaw.com because you deserve what's right. It's uh, obvious. Put it in your phone and make sure that they are your first call uh, if you have an accident. Uh, We have hour number two of the BGK Insider Show, including one-timers, news to notes from around the National Hockey League, an update on the early action in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and catching up with Chapman is also on the way in Fox Sports Las Vegas. This has been the Legal Minute with Sam and Ash on the BGK Insider Show. Brought to you by Sam and Ash. Visit them at SamandAsh.com because you deserve what's right.